Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. I am so happy that you are here today and I want to invite you to grab your Bible and meet me in the gospel of Luke chapter 12. Let's drop down to verse 16. We're going to receive the tithes and the offerings. And I think this little short teaching by Jesus is so powerful. Now, uh, really the whole chapter begins to uh, from verse 13 on begins to jump into this subject, but let's just grab a little portion of it and take a peek into it today. This again is Luke chapter 12 and let's go down to verse 16. Then he, that would be Jesus spoke a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Well, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Praise God. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease eat, drink, and be merry. Go on an endless ocean cruise and just go to the buffet table every day and watch over by internet all of the stock investments and all of the land investments and the vast port portfolio of investments we have. We have plenty of money to just cruise and enjoy life and to not be concerned about anything. But then it says in verse 20, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Now, the word required in the Greek is a verb, and it is the verb apatio. And it literally means to demand back. Wow, praise the Lord. Now, it's conveyed in the Greek that the idea of demanding back is that life is sacred and that it is given to us by God as a loan that one day must be returned back to him. Wow. Praise the Lord. Again, Jesus uh, in this parable says that God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And that's really the big the big thrust of the emphasis here is not being rich toward God. Hmm. Well, it is possible that someone might say, well, Pastor Stephen, why should I be rich toward God when the harvest and the wealth that I have, I created that all, up, all by my own doing? Well, let's think about that just for a moment. It is true that this man was involved in the planting of the harvest. That's a lot of work to get out there and to, uh, even if he's not literally putting the seed in the ground himself, yet he has to oversee the workers. So he's involved. So he's, he's working. And also, uh, we know that he would bring the harvest in and really the greatest work is involved, not so much in the planting, but in the harvesting, because you have to work sometimes 20 hours out of 24 to get it all in. You have to get it in very quickly when it's right. So he has exerted himself. He's put his time in on the clock. So why, if he's done all of it, should he be rich towards God? 
Well, there's many reasons. Number one, in order for those crops to come into maturity and be a fruitful harvest, it's going to need a major thing, and that's called water. And water would be something that cannot be pumped in during that age or time, so they are reliant upon one source, and that would be the rain. <laughs> so uh, who sets this system up? of rain and uh, and these things where God implements these systems into the earth that he created. Well, God did. So God is the one giving rain to this man's very crops. Also, the the crops, they cannot develop and mature the way they're supposed to without sunlight. Who's giving the sunlight? Well, wh whoever's doing that would be the one that created the sun. And now you have this system called photosynthesis, where the light is allowing the plant to receive something that's essential for its living and for its growth. And that is all a byproduct of God's creation. Praise the Lord. And the man didn't have anything to do with that. Also, the man did not set this system into the earth of seed time and harvest where you put a seed into the ground. And I'm sure this guy had no idea how this worked as rich and as wealthy as he is. I'm sure he doesn't understand the mechanics of it where you put that seed into the ground. And for some unexplainable reason, it cracks open and then it will eventually sprout and then it will come up and it will multiply what you have sown wild. So he's enjoying all of these things that God has set up within the earth. And actually he's even, he's even enjoying God's own earth because he's using God's resources, the dirt in which to put the seed, the minerals that are in the soil that God put there for the benefit of the seed. And while he's working, he's out there breathing and he's breathing the oxygen that God has put within the atmosphere. And if he gets thirsty, he's going to go do what? He's going to go drink some water, which God has created, which we know as H2O. So really, when we look at it, we should be rich toward God because God is the one that has given us life and he allows us to live on the planet that he created. So we should be thankful to God for this wonderful opportunity. Praise the Lord that we made it. We're here. And so because of that and all of the opportunities and privileges privileges that God has given to us, we should be rich toward God. And that's where this man missed it. See, God's not upset that this guy is prospering. This guy's working biblical principles. He's tied into that. So God's not upset that he's having a big harvest. It doesn't, it doesn't grieve God one bit that this guy is growing so much financially. He needs larger barns. What a wonderful problem to have. May you have the same challenge. Praise the Lord. So that's not what the Lord is upset about. Really, we see that the context is that he is, the Lord is not pleased with this and calls this man a fool because in all of his wealth and all of his prosperity, he is not rich toward God. He's only rich towards himself. Mm -mm. And when you look at the full context of why Jesus launched into this parable, it's because he was teaching 
and one came out of the crowd and said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Wow. If you ever want to see a family get into a quarrel, let it be over an inheritance or a will that is not clearly defined or does not designate what goes to who. And if there's any unknown areas, and uh, particularly if there's money or something of value that's not been assigned rightfully on that wheel, oh, you, you'll see up amongst unbelievers and even, even amongst some church people, the most violent, hate-filled quarrels break out because mm -mm, they're arguing over the inheritance. But he said to him, this is Jesus speaking now, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? <laughs> I mean, I'm not he's saying that's not my purpose. And Jesus also is picking up covetousness. Uh, there are some people, they don't want what their uh, fair portion would be. They don't want what is just. No, they want it all. They want it all. Mm. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe, this God, maybe this guy was a flop. Maybe he didn't deserve any inheritance. Maybe his father left him out of the, the inheritance on purpose because he didn't deserve it. Mm -mm. But Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, what does it mean to be covetous? The definition of covetous means that you have a desire for wealth and possessions. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. But it means that you have a desire for wealth and possessions that is never satisfied. Pastor Stephen, when I have a little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. Well, you got to that little bit more a while back. What happened? Well, you know, I, 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 I'd like some more. And then you get some more and more and more. So, you know, one car's not enough. Now you need two. And maybe you do need two. But now you're at a place where you need three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, and, and your garage is turning into a museum. Hey, what do you need so many of those? Are you planning on giving those away to some people because you've got so many? Oh, no, I don't plan on giving anything away. So it's very easy for people to slip into a, uh, a place of their heart where they have become covetous. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Wow. Praise the Lord. Now I'm convinced from scripture and I'm convinced also from seeing it personally that tithing, when you tithe, which is 10% of all of your income, 10% of that going to God, or 10% of a blessing that you get. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I just got an inheritance. I got an inheritance of $300. Well, 30 of that belongs to the Lord. So you need to honor the Lord with your finances. Praise the Lord. That means give the tithe to the Lord. So tithing breaks, I believe, I've seen this, and I believe it's scriptural, tithing breaks a covetous spirit off of your heart. It will do that. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Now, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God has no problem, not a single problem in the world with you being rich. Actually, because you're a child of God, it pleases his heart to see that you're doing well. Just like a natural father would look at their son or daughter as they're getting along in life, it would make you happy to see them do well. It would not make you happy to see them living on the street homeless. It makes you happy to see them prospering and doing well. So God, our Heavenly Father, wants us to do well. 
And we also know from the assurance given in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 18, where it very clearly says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. God wants you to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. You can use your money as a righteous leverage to present the new covenant of salvation through Christ through as many people as possible. And by doing that, that is demonstrating that you are rich toward God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I was reminded by the Holy Spirit while I was getting these notes ready. I was reminded one time when I was in Jerusalem with our tour group and our guide took us back in time, 2,000 years, not in the time machine, but simply by going underground there in Jerusalem. Now, when you walk modern-day Jerusalem, much of what you see on a street level, you're seeing that at a modern-day level, but in the Lord's time 2,000 years ago, if you want to see what was there then, you've got to go underground about 20 to 25 feet because the street level of the Lord's time was lower. And as time goes by, hundreds of years, several thousand years, things get stacked on top, stacked on top, and dirt blows in, and dust blows in, and, and, and topography changes. So we went back about 2,000 years in time to a home that existed there in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. And they have dated that home right to that time frame. Now, it's underground. And, and, of course, anything underground, you know, they're going to have to get the dirt out so you can actually see what's there. But it was a quite large area. And you could stand there, and you could see the living room, and you could see the area of the layout of where bedrooms were at. And we were told that this home would have been the home of a very, very wealthy person. So, as we looked at this home, you know, of course... You have to understand this is still you're, you're working with stone and you're working with plaster and things like that. So uh, there's there's no hot shower. There's no air conditioning. There's no there's no heater or anything like that. We're still looking at something that would be primitive compared to today's standards. But but nevertheless, this was the home of a very affluent Jewish person that would have lived close to the temple, that would have lived in the heart of the city, and this would have been the very best of the best during the time of Jesus that a rich man would have lived at. So the modern-day equivalent, you're looking at a home that if it were compared to a modern-day house, probably like anywhere between three three to five million dollar home. Three million to five million dollars, that would be the modern-day price of that home. Now, the tour guide, who's very knowledgeable, said, now step over here. And he said, I want to show you something that was found in this home. This is something that would have been displayed in the most predominant area of the house when you would have first came in. And so visitors would see this. It would be displayed on a stand and, you know, one that can't be knocked over <laughs> because of the value of what's sitting on it. And he said, this item being displayed here in the living room of this house, this item would have been worth more than the entire home. 
So that item had a value, uh, equivalent value of today's standard of somewhere between three to five million dollars. It, it would have been extremely rare, highly expensive, and it would have been something that would have been the showstopper when guests would walk into this home. Are you ready for this? He said, come with me. I want to show you what it is. And behind some clear acrylic, kind of like the pulpit material, you know, it's like an acrylic material. You could see through and you could see what they found, that item of great wealth. And it had been preserved. And there it was sitting right there. You know what it was? You know what the big deal was? That some guy, the owner of that home, maybe he or his wife or both of them went out and bought that probably cost somewhere between three and five million dollars. Would you like to know what it was? Here it is right here. You're looking at it. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you're over exaggerating. Not one bit. It was nothing but a glass vase, just a tiny bit bigger than this. And what I'm holding right here is basically some Martinelli's great sparkling grape juice, which tastes very nice, but it was a bottle just a little bit bigger than this. And this is made out of glass. And for somebody 2000 years ago to have a vase made from glass, Ooh, that is so high tech that when people would have walked into that house, they would have been oogling and googling. Ooh, Ooh, look at that. Wow. A glass vase. Wow. Wow. Mm -mm. The technology to work with glass came out of Egypt, and it was so prized by the pharaohs that the glass makers, the penalty for revealing the secret of how glass was made, the penalty was nothing less than immediate death. And so nobody was allowed to have glass except for the Pharaoh. Eventually, somehow, that technology did filter out, but it was still uh, not widely known. And this was the thing. Back in the Lord's day, if you had a glass vessel, woo-wee, praise the Lord. Oh, well, Pastor Stephen, you're probably going to take that, and you're going to put that on the mantle of your fireplace, where if we ever come to your house, we can see it and all talk about such great wealth. No, what I'm going to do after the service, I'm going to take this and I'm going to throw it into the recycled trash bin and away with it. Why? Well, I, I can't even take that to a recycling shop. They won't even give me a nickel for this. Let me see. Sometimes on these bottles, it'll say that maybe you could redeem it at a certain place for three cents or a nickel. But it looks like this one doesn't have any value. But I'll just do my nice part to be uh, ecologically minded. And I'll take it and I'll throw it in the recycle bin for glass and plastic. And off it goes. Off it goes to its designated area, either in the landfill or maybe somewhere where they can do something with it and recycle it if, if possible. But the thing basically is that it has no value today. It has no value. And I think it's fascinating how so many people, they get caught up in covetousness. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I've got to have that. And one day we're going to be in heaven. And your life is going to be called up for review. It's going to be called back for review. Remember, this night your soul will be required of you. It's going to be required. It's going to be demanded back. And you're going to have to give an account for how you lived your life. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Were you laying up treasures for yourself or were you rich toward God? Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a savings. It doesn't mean you can't be wealthy. But 
The way you stay free from covetousness is giving, 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 giving. And if you want one of these on the centerpiece of your display there in your house, that's fine. That's fine. God doesn't care about that as long as long as you're rich towards him and you're moving his kingdom and his kingdom agenda forward. Mm -mm -mm. If you're not and if you drift from that, you'll get caught up in this thing of let's tear it down and build, build a bigger barn. Let's just kick back and relax. Who cares if the world is dying in sin and going to hell? As long as we're taken care of, that's all that matters. And that is a very, very dangerous place to be. The Lord called that person a fool. Mm -mm. But I believe, look, I believe that God is positioning you because of the way that you have already been living and the way that you would even burn in your heart even greater to do that when you go before the Lord on, on your review at the end of your life, you will have been found as being a person rich towards God. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And, and look, and if you'll use your faith. And if you'll believe God, you'll not only have treasures laid up in heaven, but God will bless you while you're here on the earth. Praise the Lord. Let me say that's been a little bit of the missing ingredient for some missionaries. There have been missionaries who, out of great love for the Lord, they've given up everything and they've left their family. They've left their, their loved ones their, They've left their home. They've left the food that they're comfortable with. And they've gone to the other side of the planet, maybe to a remote area to preach the gospel to a people group that have never heard the gospel before. But sometimes missionaries have thought, well, I've given it all up and my only reward will be when I get to heaven. But Jesus said, he said, yes, you will have that in, in the age to come. Great reward. But you can also be blessed while you're down here on the earth. And I believe as you're rich toward God, that God will make you like Abraham, who was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. Mm -mm. But Abraham was such a giver. He had such a heart for God. And he... He would step in there and do things financially to be a blessing when, the, when that opportunity would come up. Praise the Lord. Amen. So think about these things. As you honor the Lord with your tithe, you are saying, my heart will not become covetous, continually chasing after the next thing. Be it as something today that we look at as so, so worthless as a bottle. I mean, it's not worthless. I mean, it's able to hold the content of what we have, right? But you, you and I both know, hey, that, that's, no, that's no big deal. Glass is all over the place. I mean, it's basically made out of sand. So we have plenty of that. But, but to walk with the heart of God means that your giving reveals that and you are rich toward God. Praise the Lord. Father, as your people honor you today with the tithe, which belongs to you, and as they sow financial seed, Father, I just pray that you would carry them into a place of being rich, of being wealthy, where they have enough to do what you have called them to do, and they have an overflow so they can be the blessing that you have called them to be. Now, Father, if there are any that are watching and they're waiting for the wealth and the riches to come first. Father, I pray that they would not be deceived by such 
a covetous, deceitful way of thinking. But I pray right now, right where they're at, that they would become rich towards you right now. They would honor you with the tithe right now. And they would give right now, not waiting for one day where suddenly they receive something uh, unexpectedly. But they would do what they can do right now. And they would keep getting stronger in their giving anointing, stronger in their giving faith. Now, Father, we praise you. We thank you for blessing your people with financial provision. You said that you give us the power to get wealth. And I thank you, Father God, that you are releasing that power into the lives of your people. And I thank you that they are properly appropriating that wealth. Yes, they can use some of it for certain needs and even certain desires. Nothing wrong with that. But, Father, they will also have that kingdom heart which is to be rich towards you, your kingdom causes. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that that deceitful spirit of covetousness will not enter into their heart because of their giving spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, bless their giving today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Now, those of you that would like to mail in the tithe and an offering, you can send it to Stephen Brooks International. P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. Now, if you want to bring the tithe and the offering in online, you can do so anytime, day or night. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a red link, a red box on the front that's called giving, and you can go right there. Click on that and bring your tithe, bring your offering in safe and secure online from anywhere in in the world. Praise the Lord. Father, bless your people. Thank you for a giving spirit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Can you believe somebody paid millions of dollars for a glass bottle? Mm, praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's jump into today's message. I would like for us to stay in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to go today to Luke chapter 4. And I want to talk about the subject of when God's hand moves. Ooh, praise the Lord. When God's hand moves. Luke chapter 4, and I, I think we can start in verse 22. That'll be a good place to begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit bringing wisdom and revelation to the eyes of our understanding the eyes of our inner man. Thank you, Father, as we jump into today's primary key message. We're asking that your Holy Spirit be flowing and moving, helping us to grab a hold of the mechanics of miracles, which are very, very simple, but are so often danced around and never embraced. But, Father, we thank you that your hand is going to move and you're going to do miracles because we're going to take a hold of it by faith and we're going to do our part and you're going to do your part and the results are going to be glorious. Father, we give you all of the praise in advance. In Jesus' name, we pray and we agree and let's all say amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Luke chapter 4, verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Well, he's preaching in his hometown and it's not going so good. In some ways it is, but 
in some ways it's not because there's an underlying current or vibe of we know who this guy is. And, you know, we've heard that he's made it big in Hollywood or Capernaum, you know, or the big city. Uh, but, you know, we know his story. We know his mom and we know his dad and and all of this stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, we're not really sold on Jesus just yet. So they're really going to. They're going to push the wrong buttons. Uh, that would be the buttons of doubt and unbelief. So let's jump into it now. Verse 23. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Now, heal yourself. In other words, we've heard about these things going on in Capernaum. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So they've heard about these things in the big city. So they're saying, look, like a doctor who proclaims something, but, you know, heals others, but doesn't really give attention to himself. Hey, you know, Jesus, we've heard about stuff you've done over there, but, you know, come do it right here. Give attention here. If you're really going to, you know, present yourself in this light, you know, what you did over there, do it right here. And very importantly, do it locally so that we can know for sure. Heal yourself. Hmm. Then he said, well, let's slow down just for a moment before we get into verse 24. I think this is important too. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Hmm. Whatever we have heard. This is fascinating. Now, what was going on in Capernaum? Well, we know that the Lord has moved from Nazareth and he's now has a headquarters established in Capernaum. And I think that's very, very important because Nazareth in many ways was isolated and I think the officials, maybe we could say the mayor and the county directors, they, they probably liked that and they wanted to keep it like that. You know, you can cut yourself off from many blessings, not just because maybe you're a small town, but maybe because you want to stay small and you don't want anything good to come to your town. You don't want growth. You don't want economic development. And if it's a mentality like that, that's not good and it's going to hurt Really, the overall well-being of, of the town. I'll give you an example. We live in a rural county of North Carolina, but many good things have come out of this county, and the county is actually quite prosperous. And when I say prosperous, I, I'm saying that we have good leadership, good directors, and the county has millions and millions of dollars in savings, which is a really good thing. Uh, because a lot of a lot of states are running deficits. There's a lot of counties that may appear wealthy, but there have been wealthy counties all across the country that have gone bankrupt, and then they're looking for the state to bail them out. So I think it's a really good thing that this county has a surplus and not a deficit. And by the by, the way, the surplus is real strong. When I say millions, I'm talking tens and tens of millions in the surplus. So that's a really good thing. Now, the county has paved almost all of the roads that are, that are here in the county. Uh, we, although we're a rural county, 
As far as land size is concerned, we're the fourth largest county in the state. So it's, it's a big county spread out over a large, what you could call, foothill region. Uh, we're right before the mountains. If you start going west, you hit, the, you hit a very high mountain range. So we're the foothills, but we're a large area. Well, as large as we are, and as rural as some parts of the county can be, nevertheless, most of the areas are paved. But there was one particular dirt road that was unpaved that the county said, you know what, we need to get that paved also. They had the budget for it. They had the money for it. They had the equipment to do it. All they needed, now watch this, all they needed was the permission of the landowners whose land adjoins the road as the road goes through. And sometimes, you know, you have, you have property that overlaps the road or maybe will cross to the other side of the road. And so the, the county needs the permission of the landowners to give thumbs up, to say yes, in order for them to pave it all the way through. So what they need technically in order to pave the road is they need every landowner that that road passes by or passes through where their property would adjoin to or butt up to the road, they need them to give permission for the county to pave it. And guess what? Although this was a rural area, everybody living in this area said when the county asked, because they send an official out, will you give us permission to pave the road? Because, you know, your, your property is coming up to it. Everybody said yes, except for one person. Guess who that one person was? That, uh, that couple, it was actually a couple, I should say, to be more accurate, they were Christians, even supposed, you know, prophetic people, spirit-filled believers, who said no. And when they were asked why they, they didn't want it, the reason they wanted it to remain, you know, rural and hidden in the backwoods and no, no pavement, no, no nice asphalt road going back to it was because they don't want it to be paved because if it's paved, then it would make it easier for them to be found by the Antichrist during the tribulation. And maybe the, uh, you know, the one world police governmental system or military system could drive back there easier on a paved road and find them and that way force them to take the mark. They said, oh, no, we don't want the road paved. We want to remain hidden back here in the woods. <laughs> I think I think what we should have done we should have taken that couple the husband and wife who said no to the paved road we should have put them in a time machine and we should have sent them back to the commissioners and had them join the commissioners of the city of Nazareth they would have fit in really well we don't want this Jesus we're not sold on him we don't even want this big city slick stuff coming in here oh may the Lord have mercy so anyhow Jesus you know what you're doing over there in the big city with your fancy ministry headquarters and all that. We, we want to see you come and, uh, you know, uh, reveal all of that here. But they didn't want him. They didn't want what he had. By the way, Jesus had some major reasons for moving to Capernaum. One of them, of course, was to get away from the unbelief and the doubt that they had towards him. But also for the logistics of going to Capernaum because you had a very famous ancient highway that passed through there and it ran north to south and it was called the Via Maris and any type of trade that was done 
you had to get on that Via Maris and go through it. And if you're traveling, guess what? It's going to take you right through Capernaum. And as you would stay on the Via Maris, many other highways would connect with the superhighway of the Via Maris. So other trading routes that ran from Africa to Europe would all intersect with the Via Maris and other trading routes that would run from Asia to Africa or back and forth. They all would eventually end up on that Via Maris and you're going to end up passing through uh, through Capernaum. So any news going on, it's going to spread all over, not just that region. It's just going to go all over the world. Praise God. So with the Lord's ministry uh, being anointed by the spirit, Trust me, it went international. He was known throughout the nations of the world because of the ministry that he had and it being spread all over because of the location. But Jesus also had to end up in Capernaum for a fulfillment of Scripture, which is found in Matthew chapter 4, and that would be verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. So Jesus had to go to Capernaum, which is in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali, in order to fulfill Scripture that was prophesied about himself. And that prophecy was this, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Woo! Praise the Lord. So that's why he set things up there for fulfillment of scripture but also because of logistics. And really, there's probably about at least 10 primary reasons of why he was there. But we have to also recognize his ministry was never going to be received in Nazareth. Praise God. Now, let's continue on. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Well, I wish that were not the case, but it's true from the sense of being understood. The prophetic ministry is very different. I'll give you one example. I, uh, and, and this could be multiplied many times over. I have a pastor friend of mine who pastors a large church of several thousand members. I've spoken in his church numerous times, and he is a tremendous shepherd. He's a great pastor, overseer of the flock, and loves the people and ministers to the people and prays for them and ministers good messages to them from the Word of God. But they all know him. They see him, you know, multiple times every week. And you, you do that week on week, month on month, year, years on years. They know him really well as the shepherd, as the pastor. But let me tell you, when he goes and ministers in other churches, he doesn't go as a shepherd or as a pastor. He goes as a prophet. And when he goes out and speaks to these other churches or these large conferences or big outdoor like stadium type events, 
people are blown away by the prophetic anointing on his life. And he can call people out by name. He can, he can get supernatural words of knowledge about people. And he'll flow in that so smooth and so easy. But when he goes back to his church, they know him, not as the prophet, they know him as the pastor, the pastor. <laughs> and really, in many ways, they want to keep him there. Don't travel out, just stay here and, you know, minister to us. So sometimes that prophetic anointing can get lost uh, by the people by not understanding that he's more than just a shepherd. Praise the Lord. And I've seen it happen many, many times. I know a lot of pastors where the sheep they only see that past, their, their pastor ministering on Sunday morning or midweek service. They've never seen him under a real strong miracle and anointing like in a, like in a, like in a major like outdoor stadium crusade. They've never seen that type of anointing. They don't even know that he walks in that. Well, you know, it, uh, it's something to be very careful with, which would be, I call it a spirit of familiarity, where you begin to lose sight of the 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 office of the man of God because you just get to know them and you realize their humanity you realize they're not perfect oh well they're not really that big of a deal well see that's the, the familiarity and you always have to be careful with that and certainly we see that revealed in the statement of Jesus assuredly I say to you no prophet is accepted in his own country praise God now, remember, they had heard things about him while he was ministering in Capernaum. How does faith come? Well, we know very clearly from the book of Romans, although we could quote the scripture, let's just look at it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes, how? By hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, when you read that in the English, of course, that's very simple to understand. In the Greek, it's conveyed more that faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. It's an ongoing thing. And, of course, the thing that you're hearing that builds that faith is what? It's the Word of God. Praise God. Anything that's related to God's Word uh, will just boost your faith and build you up. Hallelujah. So we have to ask ourselves, what? Were they hearing what was going on in Capernaum? Well, the, this would come down basically to people in Capernaum who either lived there or who had traveled there or were passing through because this is a major super highway that people are traveling on. And they had stopped and heard Jesus teach and heard him minister uh, or heard about his anointing. And the next thing you know, they're in the healing line or they're in the service and boom, they're getting a miracle from God. God's hand was released to move in their life and a miracle took place. So they're hearing really what we could call miracle testimonies told by those who had received or were eyewitnesses of the miracles that were done through Jesus there in the city of Capernaum. Praise the Lord. Now, when you hear things like that in real time, you know, uh, let's say you were living in that age when Jesus was ministering, you're living in that time, you know, you'd be like, wow, is that true? Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. Well, if you're real, real needy, you know, what's going to happen is that as you're hearing that that's going to stir faith in you. 
And you can release that faith. That faith can explode on the inside of you to receive also what those were receiving in Capernaum. Praise the Lord. Here's an example. One time I was standing next to a minister having a conversation with him. And I had just received something special in my life. I thought it was pretty cool. Hadn't happened to me before. And I told him about it. I said, hey. I said, let me show you something that just happened. I said, I was in a meeting ministering. And I said, God touched someone's heart, a man's heart. And a man, that man, when his heart was touched by God, he got up and he came over to me. And I, I said, look what he gave me. I said, he gave me a Rolex watch. And I showed it to the minister. Now, this particular minister, I won't say who he is. I know a lot of people, praise God. You may think, oh, I know who it is, Pastor Stephen. Oh, don't be so sure, praise God. This minister had been in the ministry for over 40 years. That, that's a long time, right? That's four decades in ministry. And when I showed him that, you know, I was happy in my spirit. When I showed him that, and, uh, you know, when I showed him, let me say this also, I could talk freely with him. He's not the kind of person that's going to get jealous of somebody else's blessing. So I happily showed it to him. And when he looked, when he looked at it, he said, you know, he said, that has never happened to me. And when he, when he looked, and when he looked at me, when he said that, I can tell the gears of faith are turning, not in his head, in his heart. And he's thinking, well, if God did that, for Stephen, God could do that for me too. I could read it on his face. So you can see faith. When I showed him that, he was just, just like, it's just some, something leaped from me to him, a spirit of faith. And he, he pulled it. And I, I just knew, well, it's going to happen for him too. Now, I saw him about six weeks later. And he, he's got a testimony. But the testimony didn't take six weeks. I only found out about it because I didn't see him until then. Six, six weeks had passed before we saw each other again. So what had taken place, though, only took two weeks. And the next time I saw him, six weeks later, he said, Stephen, he said, let me show you what happened to me. And he pulls up his, his sleeve, and he shows me a beautiful watch. He said, I was ministering. In a certain church, and, he's, and you know, I, I knew who the pastor was of where he was ministering at because I'd ministered in that church as well, although my miracle happened somewhere else. But he said, I was ministering in this church, and after I was finished ministering, God touched somebody's heart, a man in the audience. And the man came up to me, towards me afterwards and said, I feel led of the Spirit of God to give this to you. I want to be a blessing to your life. And he said, look what he gave me. And he showed me a very, very beautiful luxury watch. It was a different brand, but it was absolutely beautiful. Now, now I want you to think about this just for a moment. He'd been in the ministry for over 40 years, but it had never happened. But when he heard and saw what God had done for me, he got something in two weeks whereas before 40 years went by and out of his own mouth, he told me that's never happened to me. So with one testimony of faith, with one release of faith, what had not happened in 40 years, boom, happened in two weeks. Woo! Do you, do you see that? And there's a miracle. 
It's a miracle. Well, Pastor Stephen, you know, you never know there could be luck or chance. Well, it, there was no luck or chance for the previous 40 years, so this has nothing to do with that. We're not, we're not playing in that realm of luck or chance. I, I, we're, not, we're not gamblers. No, we're covenant people that are working the Word, getting intentional results based upon a proven system established by God. Mm, mm, mm. Praise God. All right. Let's flip this story. Let me share what happened with you one time. Uh, excuse me, with me one time. In my ministry, for the first 10 years of my ministry, there was something that I wanted to happen in my ministry, and it never happened. Uh, was there a wish? Uh, yes, there was. Was there a desire? Yes, but it just, it just didn't happen. And really, it's, it's because my faith, I just couldn't get my faith up there to it. It's not like I didn't want it to happen, or it's not like I didn't have some type of faith for it, but it just wasn't there at a place where that faith could explode, and I could just say, I know God's going to do it for me too. Well, 10 years go by, and it hasn't happened. But I was asked to come minister at a certain church, and when I went to that church, I saw the pastor walking in what I wanted, and he was walking in it just as easy as I can drink water out of this cup. Let me give you an example. This is how easy it is. He was walking in it just that easy. The thing I thought would be really cool for it to happen in my life, he was walking in it just as easy as drinking a little glass of water. Praise God. And when I saw that, when I saw that, faith exploded in me and Kelly. And me and Kelly both looked at each other. As we concluded our time at his, at his church, we both looked at each other and said, when we go back, it's going to happen. Now watch this. Watch this. For 10 years, it had never happened. But we, when we went back in one day, not one year, in one day, the very next day after we got back, we had it. We had it. We had it. Our faith just whoop, exploded. Woo, glory to God. And I wasn't jealous that what that minister had uh, so easily was something that was missing from my life. And I was like, well, that ain't fair, God, that he's over there enjoying that one. And I'm over here, and I ain't got nothing. Here I am serving you in ministry, preaching the gospel, and I ain't got it. No, I was just like, wow. Wow, Lord, that's what I needed. I needed to see somebody demonstrate it, walk in it. And I was just, I was happy for him. Lord, Lord, give him more. Hallelujah. But I tell you what, my faith just went whoop through the roof. And I said, I've got it. And Kelly was, it just, it had faith ignited in her too. I, and so, so while my friend, 40 years and within two weeks, boom, he got it. Whereas in 40 years before it never happened. Okay. But for me, 10 years and for 10 years, never had it. But seeing one person manifesting it, walking in it, boom, after 10 years, not having it. One day, in one day, it was mine. Woo! Signed the contract. Signed the pay. Oh, pa Pastor Steve, you need months and months to do all. No, 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 no. God, God, God just boom, bought it. He, he just brought it right to us. Boom. Miracle. Nothing but a miracle. God moved his hand. Mm -mm. And when God moves his hand, miracles happen. Mm -mm -mm. 
Jesus, we give you praise. Now, let me say this. In some ways, not, not always, but in some ways, I can predict your future. Not so much through prophetic insight. Pastor Stephen, pray and fast, and then show me what you see prophetically. Well, yes, we, we can minister along that line. But let me say this. In some ways, I can predict your future, not so much through prophetic insight, but simply based upon who you're listening to. Mm -mm. The voice or the voices or the sound, or what you're allowing in to your ears. What you're listening to, if you, if you tell me and reveal to me who you're listening to, I can, I can with not, not complete certainty, but I, with high level of accuracy, can tell you where you're going to end up at. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And that's either a place of victory or that's a place of mediocrity, or that's a place of failure, or that's a place of disappointment. It's all based upon who and what you're listening to. Mm, thank you, Jesus. All right, we might as well get into it a little deeper, because the Lord is about to reveal the mechanics of a simple miracle. The mechanics of a miracle. Pastor Stephen, do I need my slide ruler? Do I need my, uh, my calculator to do high physics on the math chart? No, no. No, you don't need any of that. It's very, very simple mechanics to get a very, very simple miracle. Mm -mm. And we're going to look at it right now. Praise the Lord. Verse 25. Jesus continues talking to the people there in Nazareth. But I tell you truly, many widows... How many is many? We've covered this before. It's not, it's not just a few. It's a lot. Uh, very well could be thousands. Unfortunately, it could be thousands. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. Okay. So in context, he's talking about Jewish widows. Well, if these are Jewish widows, what is that? What is the theme of what we're meaning here? Oh, the covenant people of God. So they're Jewish widows. Well, if they're Jewish, they're the people of God. The people of God under the old covenant had a covenant with God, and the Gentiles did not. The Gentiles did not, did not have a covenant. That's why David, when he said, hey, I can take, Philist I can take Goliath, th this Philistine, down. They were like, well, why can you take him down? David said, he's uncircumcised. Well, that, that's not a uh, physical observation. That's something that he knew because he's a Philistine. Dave, David is basically saying, the guy has no covenant with God. I do. He doesn't. God's with me. God's not with him. Wow. So when Jesus is revealing that, the, that these widows in Israel, okay, so they're Jewish widows, Jesus is saying they have a covenant. What does that mean? It means if you have a covenant with God, you have certain rights and privileges that those who don't, don't have. Mm -mm. But those rights and privileges that belong to you, you access them through faith. They are engaged, activated, and released through faith, and that's how you get a miracle. Praise the Lord. Okay. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel. So they're Jewish widows, okay? They were in Israel in the days of Elijah. Oh, yes. Preach, Jesus. We love Elijah. This is going to be a good story with a good ending. Yes, you got our attention. We love Elijah. 
the Jewish people in Israel, they're, they look at us a little funny sometimes when we don't speak Hebrew. I was really preaching away about Elijah in one of our tours to Israel. Yes, I was preaching about the great prophet of God. <laughs> and then, then after I'm done, you know, the, uh, the Jewish Hebrew speaking tour guide, he said, um, he said, Pastor Stephen, he said, I, he said, I don't understand it. He said, how do you guys get such, such crazy names for the biblical characters? He said, how did you guys ever end up with the name Elijah? He said, that's not his name. His name is Eliyahu. Well, I said, it's complicated. I said, first of all, uh, we have these letters J that are in the English alphabet, and we stick the J in there when it should be a, should be a, a Y. And uh, I, I said, but all said and done, we all know who we're talking about. He said, yes, we know you're talking about the great prophet. Okay. So it is very interesting. So we're all loving Elijah. Oh, yes, this is a great story. Yes, Jesus, teach, teach. When heaven, excuse me, in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up, Three years and six months. And there was a great famine. Okay, not just a famine. A great famine throughout all the land. Well, oh, well, well Pastor Stephen, they're just all going to die. They're, they're, all, they're just all going to die. But you don't have to. See, I'm here today to say you can be different. Well, who do you think you are to say that, Pastor Stephen? A covenant child of God who knows their covenant rights and releases faith and believes God for what God said instead of what everybody just expects to naturally happen to them. Well, if it's a, if it's a famine, and of course, as it says, a great famine, well, I guess we're all going to starve. We're all going to die of starvation or thirst or it's going to be bad. No, not for me it's not. And not for the believer who believes that God will deliver them. Now, you can be a Christian and you can still go under. You can have a covenant but not know the covenant rights or not believe them, and you can still go under. And here's a classic example right here. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Well, that's not right. That's outside of the, the, the territorial allotment that God gave to his people. That would be to a Gentile, a foreigner. Well, that's where God sent the help. Isn't that fascinating? In the region of Sidon to a woman, to a woman who was a widow. Mm. So here's a person that has every cultural difficulty back then stacked against them. A foreigner, no covenant with God, a woman, not a man, a woman, a person that would be treated lesser in society, and a widow, a person that would be in many ways one of the weakest in society. Now, you would have orphans, abandoned children. Yes, it's worse for them. But here's a person that really doesn't have uh, a lot of resources for help, doesn't have a lot of people they, you know, that can get them over. But this woman, this woman believed the prophet. When the prophet came to her and gave the directive from God, as difficult as it was, she trusted God. She was justified by her faith. Mm-mm. And her faith, of course, had corresponding actions. Praise the Lord. Well, they didn't like that. They didn't like that because they didn't understand one of the great mechanics of a miracle, which is this. Are you ready? I've said it before, but I think every year, every year, at least once, I need to, I need to cover this message. And here it is. 
one of the great mechanics of a miracle. God is not moved by your need. Don't, don't be discouraged if you have a need. But you need to know that just because you have a need doesn't mean that God's going to respond. If it worked that way, you would see the greatest miracles happening in the worst places. But you don't see very often the miracles. You see people dying in starvation. There are people that are starving to death right now. Why is God allowing that to happen? It's not that he's not compassionate. It's not that he doesn't want to move. But need does not move the hand of God. Well, I want a miracle, Pastor Stephen. I want God to move his hand. Well, then what moves it? Faith. God's not moved by your need. He's moved by your faith. And if you don't use your faith, you can go under just like everybody else out there who doesn't know God, who doesn't have a covenant, who curses, who blasphemes God's name, who does all these awful things. Yes, yes, I can understand why they would go under. They don't know the Lord. They have no covenant of protection or blessing or healing or anything like that. But why should you be included in that allotment when you can have exemption through Walking in faith with what God said he would do for you, of how he promised that he would deliver you, how he said he would come through for you. Your story can be different. Hmm. So, Pastor Stephen, you're meaning to say that all of those Jewish widows did not believe God for deliverance? Yes, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across to them. They all perished and died and didn't have to. They didn't have to. And he uses a person as an example who didn't die, who didn't perish, who got through. Why? She used her faith. And she wasn't even Jewish. But yet God honored her faith. And she came through in great victory and got a great miracle. And I have great confidence that you're going to get a great miracle too. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, what, what if so-and-so gets elected and so-and-so doesn't get elected? And what, what, what about that? Well, you know, I'm just saying that in the Lord... Even should there be difficult times, your faith will take you over. Your faith can allow you to go upstream, up the river, even if the current is going down. You don't have to get, go down with everybody else. You don't have to get wiped out with everybody else. Oh, businesses are failing. But you have a covenant. You have promises from the Lord that, you can, put them, that, that, that can put you over. But you have to believe them. You have to know them, and you have to lock onto them and believe them. And that little widow woman did, and while all the other widows were dying, she got through. And she's eating, she's drinking, she's surviving, she's doing okay. And guess what? Eventually the famine ended, the drought ended, and she pops out on the other end having survived. Wow. Praise God. And so will you if you will believe Him. Praise God. God's moved by your faith. Get busy with your faith. Get your faith engaged. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because all it takes is one testimony, one miracle, and you're like, God did it for that person. Well, God can do it for me. Yes, he can. Hallelujah. And then your faith goes high and explodes. And the next thing you know, it can literally be the very next day that you receive the thing that you've been desiring for perhaps a decade or more. Hallelujah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. What is a, a revival? A revival, in a sense, is people turning from sin, 
turning to God. It could be backslidden Christians coming back to the Lord. A revival also, we could we use it as an expression of saying those who are lost coming to Christ, we're having a move of God's Spirit. But really, a, a revival is a collective atmosphere of faith where we're just getting together in the same spirit, the same spirit of what? The same spirit of faith. And in that high level of faith, there's an atmosphere for miracles. There's an atmosphere for miracles. And so there's a collective high of believers. Praise the Lord. Not just individually. And you could get an individual miracle, but a revival is more when that whole thing is being lifted as we're all coming into a spirit of faith together. And I believe God's going to move again in great power, great miracles, great signs, and great wonders. And so when he's doing that, what's going on? We're coming into that high level of faith. That's why the healing revival that ran through the 1950s, the healing revival was a release of the spirit of faith concerning divine healing. And everybody's faith was so high for healing that you just knew, you knew when prayer is given and that person who's sick receives that prayer and everybody's talking about it and it's happening all over the country, you knew that person was going to get healed and they, and they were praise the Lord. But God's going to cause that spirit of faith to rise in you and the word that you need is going to come to you and the miracle that you desire is going to be released in your life. And the time for it is now. Well, the Lord, he likes to give the double witness. So he doesn't stop with the widow in Zarephath. He gives one more example. And many lepers were in Israel. So if these were lepers that were in Israel, these are Jewish lepers who have covenant rights. One of those rights listed in Psalm 103 is that the Lord heals all of your diseases. And that would include the disease, the terrifying disease of leprosy. See, back in that day, they dealt with two very, very difficult things. We see the, the example of the great famine. But if you're dealing with the great famine back then, you're dealing also with the economic fallout that would come from that, the economic collapse, the financial strain, the devaluing of currency, or in some cases, the complete collapse of certain currencies. But God was able to get those who had faith in him through famine, but they also had this terrible, frightening, incurable disease that was not only incurable, but it was also contagious, contagious through the spread, even the contact of clothing, the contact of bodily fluid or whatever. And the next thing you know, even if it was an accident, that disease can be transmitted to you. And now you have basically a death sentence that has been passed to you. And that was the dreaded disease, my friends, of leprosy. But for the believer, God made provision for healing. And if you would take him at his word, healing was available. Anything that you needed was available through those covenant privileges, but you had to use your faith. You had to use your faith to take what was given to you. Praise the Lord. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Oh, yes. Now, Pastor Stephen, he's another prophet we love. Let's hear another good story. Well, 
it still goes in the same direction where Jesus is talking about the failure of his own people to trust him in a time of need and to receive deliverance. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed. None of all of the covenant people were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Oh, a Syrian? Well, that's a, that's a Gentile nation. Yes, it was. But although Naaman was not Jewish and he did not have a covenant with God, Naaman on the outside looking in said, I believe the word that that prophet gave to me. And I believe he is a prophet of a true God. And I believe that word and based upon that word, I'm going to obey it. God's going to heal me. And he believed and God did his part. Well, Pastor Stephen, I, I, I have leprosy. I have leprosy. How come God won't come heal me? If you'll use your faith and contact God with your faith. When I say contact God, I'm saying contact the promise of his word. Then you too can be healed, whether it's leprosy, whether it's heart disease, whether it's cancer, whether it's scoliosis, whatever it might be. You don't have to die. You don't have to live with it for the rest of your life. The Lord will heal you and the Lord will deliver you. Praise God. We live in a time where danger can suddenly be thrust upon us. But if you will walk with the Lord in faith that he will protect you and deliver you, you don't have to be another victim that we read about in the newspaper or hear about on the news of another person being randomly shot that was maybe just walking along and a stray bullet hit them and took them out. Well, you just never know, Pastor Stephen, when your time to go might go. When your time to go just happens, you could just die. You, you just died. You could just get killed. No, not, not for the covenant person who knows, who knows covenant privileges, that you can be exempted from that. Praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon. That includes any bullet, any gun, any spear, any knife. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Well, how come, how come so-and-so died? I, you know, I don't know, but I know one thing. For the covenant child, your story will be different when you believe the word. Your story will be different, and you'll have a testimony. And what will your testimony of faith do? It will ignite faith in the others, and the others will say, hey, God protected that person. God will protect me too. I'm not going down. I'm not going anywhere until I finish my commission and my assignment from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God, we give you praise today. I like Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of the tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Pastor Stephen, they're rioting, they're looting, and they're getting closer and closer to where I live. Well, be aware of such promises from the Lord. But they do you no good if you don't believe them. You have to make them yours. Hallelujah. And you have to say, if there's ever a time of trouble, my God shall hide me in his pavilion. And then you know what? Through these ways that God does that are very miraculous, God can make you go invisible. He can make your whole house go invisible. They just go right past yours. 
praise the Lord. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Make it yours. Make it your personal promise. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. And how about this for a modern day example? And I've heard others share their testimonies concerning how God has done the same thing for them. And should need be, God can do the same thing for you too. Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. So even if somehow a violent mob or group of people suddenly surrounded you, surrounded you, and there's no way you can run, and there's no way you can fight your way out. There's too many, and there's no way you can shoot yourself out. Maybe they've all got guns too, okay? But regardless, it says here, that they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And maybe they would have an intent, for whatever reason, to do harm to you as well. And you're outnumbered. And it's just, you know, the Lord's going to have to do something. But when you believe God, when you believe God, that he is your deliverer, that he is your protector, then God is well able to take care of you. Verse 30, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Well, how, how did Jesus just suddenly just, you know, turn around and just walk right to that crowd? They're, they're the ones that took him up there and they're about to throw him over. and They're angry. and They want to kill him. A miracle, a miracle of deliverance. Uh, by the way, uh, a town like that, that's not a good place to have your ministry base. <laughs> that's not a place. You know what? They don't like me. They, they want to kill me, and they want to, they you know, just take me out. Uh, but I think I'll just still, you know, I'm just going to force it on them. I'm going to set my ministry base up here. No, there is wisdom. There is wisdom. Even later when Jesus appeared in a vision to the apostle Paul and said, Paul, get out of Jerusalem. They are not going to receive your testimony about me. Well, Lord, I really love them, and I'm willing to die for them. You know, it's like the Lord's like, I know that. I understand that. But they're not going to receive uh, your testimony concerning me. So leave and go to the Gentiles because the Gentiles will. Mm -mm. So retreat doesn't necessarily mean that there's fear or something like that. Sometimes there can be wisdom in retreat because it's, it's not going to work there. So go where it will be fruitful and it will be productive. Praise God. But Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walked right out of that mob that wanted the killing. And God can do the same thing for you. God can do the same thing for you. But you must believe. You must believe or, or you could be a statistic. A statistic of somebody that died in the famine when you didn't have to. A statistic of somebody that had a disease and never got healed and died. And, you know, hey, if you're a believer and, and you're, you know, obviously you're saved, at least, at least you made heaven. Praise God, because you had faith in Christ. But my friends, being born again and saved is the beginning experience of salvation. The Lord wants to work out full salvation in your life. And that includes everything that you need to do what you're called to do and to be around and to complete your assignment. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There are some who are martyred because they did not understand they were not mature enough as believers to understand how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and get out. 
and they they sense that urgency to do something but because oftentimes there can be young believers they don't know how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit or maybe they are what I would call denominational men and women that love the Lord they're saved but they can't pick up on the Holy Spirit maybe they've been taught that you know baptism in the Holy Spirit you don't need that tongues is of the devil miracles don't happen anymore so they are shut off from the supernatural flow of the Spirit and so all they can do is respond intellectually and so maybe their response was a non-response and God wanted them to leave and they didn't leave and the trouble showed up and they were there and they lost their life it didn't mean that they had to be a martyr or that it was God's plan for them to be a martyr but nevertheless hey you know what if, if your life ends in such a situation like that at least you made heaven glory to God and you didn't deny your faith in Christ Praise the Lord. So there's still reward. There is still reward. But so often, one of the greatest things and most difficult things to do is it's not to die. It's to keep on living. Because sometimes you're like, well, uh, Lord, if I just got shot, I wouldn't even feel it. And then I'm out, I'm out of here and I'm in heaven. Your spirit and soul go directly to heaven. But it can be a much greater and more difficult thing to be a living martyr where your life is continually laid down for the Lord's purpose and you keep on going no matter how tough it is you keep on going you keep on going and you finish your course having accomplished all that God wanted you to do praise God I see the scriptures guarding you preserving you protecting you allowing you to be the man the woman that God has called you to be praise the Lord hallelujah Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Your story is going to be different from the others that do not know the Lord. Your story is going to be different from others that do not appropriate their faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Psalm 91, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. Why? Why are they falling? They don't know the promises of God. And what you don't know, you cannot stand on. Your faith will never go beyond the word that you know. When I say the word, I'm talking about God's word. Your faith will never go beyond the word that you know. Praise the Lord. It will only work with what you know from God's word. So it's very important that you know these promises and believe them. And they will support you, and they will get you through. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Praise the Lord. God will preserve you. God will protect you. God will feed you. God will clothe you. God will sustain you. God will help you pay your bills. God will help you get into prosperity. But believe Him for it. Trust Him for it. Confess it. Declare it. Decree it. And give God praise that His Word is working mightily in your life. And you'll see that you'll go through. You'll go through. And you will not be in that category of the many widows. You will not be in that category of the many lepers. And the sad statistics of what happens to those who do not take hold of the promises of God, even for believers, even for believers, you must use your faith. The just shall live by 
Faith, not by just by prayer. Uh, it doesn't say prayer and fasting. Prayer, uh, prayer and fasting have their part, but they will not replace belief in the Word of God. You must be anchored to the Word, and then with an anchor on the Word, and then you throw some prayer in, and then you throw fasting in. Wow, you're going through to the other side. Praise the Lord. I really believe that so many of you. You're so close to this next breakthrough. You must not let anything throw you. You must not let anything detour you or distract you. You must stay focused. Go forward. Go forward. Because you're about to break into a new blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Stand on the word. Stand on the word. Praise God. And remember, the Apostle Paul said, faith works by love. So you have to keep your love walk strong. Keep your love walk very, very strong. Love covers a multitude of sins. Keep your love walk strong. Have a good conscience between you and God and between you and your fellow man. And then your faith can just boom, be working on all cylinders. Woo, hallelujah. So keep everything running smooth. Keep the inner parts running smooth with a clean conscience and a good, strong love walk. And my friends, let your faith take you into these areas of great blessing. And then, then you can be a great blessing as well into the lives of so many others. Now, Father, we ask that you would seal this word in the hearts of your people. We thank you that Jesus, he was a straight shooter. And he couldn't do great miracles there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. So, Father, this, this sin of unbelief is lethal, and it has caused so many of your own people to miss out on, the, on so many blessings that you have intended for them to receive, whether it's healing, protection, deliverance, longevity, whatever it might be. So, Father, we submit to the authority of your word, and we take it as our standard, not the word of panic, not the word of confusion, the word of fear, but the word of faith. And we take it into our hearts, meditate upon it, confess it, believe it. We make it ours. And we thank you that we will stand because your word will uphold us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, when you guard the word, meditate upon it, believe it, you're going to begin to come into the 30, 60, 100 fold return. Praise the Lord. And you're going to have a lot of rejoicing. Praise God forever. Lord, we give you praise and glory. If you're watching today's program and you, you're thinking, well, Pastor Stephen, I, I don't have a covenant with God, then my friends, you need to get right with God today. And if you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and have your own covenant with God, and the scripture is called the new covenant, then pray right now this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but Jesus, you died on the cross to redeem sinners. Jesus, save me right now. Jesus, wash my sins away and give me your new life. Jesus, write my name 
in your book of life. And from this day forward, Jesus, take control of my life. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family of God. You are now a Christian. You're a believer. Hallelujah. And the Lord will be with you every step of the way. Now, let me pray for those who may be Christians, but for some of a reason, something's happened and you've, you've drifted from the Lord and you've gotten away from the Lord. Come back right now. There's salvation in Christ only. And there is peace and satisfaction in Jesus only. So right now, pray this. If that's you, a Christian, you've fallen away from the Lord, pray this right now. Say, Jesus, I've gotten away from you, and I've gotten into sin. I've gotten into places and things I shouldn't be, places I shouldn't be and things I'm doing, things I shouldn't be doing. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, and I turn from my sin. I come back to you. I come back to you and I ask you to restore me right now back into right relationship with you in your name. I pray. Amen. And amen. And it's done. Now walk with him and live with him. Praise God. Thank you. Oh God. Hallelujah. Now let's take Holy Communion together today. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice, which is what I have here in the cup. And let's pray over it. Let's bless it. Heavenly Father, Jesus instructs us through his word to take communion. And he, he instructed us to do this often. And we see that they did it upon the first day of the week. And also, he's also said as often as you do this, so that we can take this whenever we would like. So right now, as we take Holy Communion, we pray over the bread and the juice. We bless it. And set it apart through this prayer as being holy. And this is now the body and the blood of Christ, our Savior. Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we thank you for the spirit of faith exploding in our hearts with great spiritual energy and power to take a hold of your promises and to step into what you have made available for us. So, Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we trust you and we hold to your word. We hold to your word with every ounce of strength that we have. In Jesus, then we pray. Amen and amen. Let's partake together. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that Jesus died for sinners so that sinners could be forgiven and be made right with you. And Father, we have accepted Christ as our Lord, our Savior. And we thank you that we are in your family, and that we belong to you. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus flowing in our life, cleansing us from all sin, washing all sin away. We thank you, Father, for all of the covenant benefits and blessings of salvation, baptism in your Holy Spirit, peace of mind, physical healing, financial blessing. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We thank you, Father, for the great importance of a clean conscience, a conscience that is clear, where we know that our hearts are right with you and our hearts are right with our fellow man. Even Jesus, Father, to the point, 
he emphasized this so strongly that he said, even if you're at the altar giving a gift, but yet you know in your heart something's not right between you and your brother. He said, he said, leave your gift and come back and take care of that later. Go get right as much as you can on your, on your part. Go get things right with your brother. And then when that is taken care of, then come back and then offer the gift. Father, we thank you for a clean conscience between us and any fellow man that to the best that we can do, we make things right with others. We thank you, Father God, because faith works by love. Thank you, Father, for a vibrant, ever forgiving, ever loving love walk. We give you praise. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray and agree and say amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what is it that you need from God? Pastor Stephen, I want God's hand to move. I want a miracle. Okay, so now you know the very simple, basic mechanics that cause a miracle to happen. You must believe. Even if others are in panic and unbelief and doubt, and they're all going under, you must believe. Believe what? Believe that specific promise of God's Word, that what He declares He will do for you if you will believe Him. You must hold to that with every fiber of your being, spirit, soul, and body. And when you do, when you do, You'll see that that word will support you up. It will stand. It is the rock that cannot fail. Praise God. Father, I bless your people in the name of Jesus. I thank you for them accomplishing mighty exploits through powerful, dynamic faith in your word. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're blessed. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Till then, bye-bye.